Hi. Joining me today is Kendra Hall. She's an author, a speaker, a mom, an entrepreneur, and she talks about how her first storytelling engagement was in the fifth grade and how storytelling became such a huge part of her life. She's even been to storytelling conferences. She does speaking engagements to all sorts of different people in all sorts of different businesses. And she has a new book coming out in September called Stories That Stick. It was a great conversation. We talked about a lot of different things and it was so nice to speak to a fellow storyteller. I hope that you enjoy this conversation as much as we enjoyed having it. Stories. We all have them. They're the compilation of your journey from where you started to how you ended up where you are today. Titanium Blonde is all about sharing women's stories. The good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful, and everything in between all of that. I'm Sherry Eckert. This is Titanium Blonde Talks. And I'd like to know, what's your story? Good morning, and thank you for joining me today for another episode of Titanium Blonde Talks, the podcast for women, about women, celebrating women by sharing their stories. This morning joining me is someone, again, that I met on Instagram. She is a speaker. She is a world-class storyteller, and she has a new book coming out in September called Stories That Stick. And not only do I love to watch her on Instagram as she's showing herself getting ready to go in and do the speaking engagements that she does, but she has a guy who pulls up outside her window and plays music almost every day. And uh, the other day, it looks like that she and her son actually got to go and meet him. So that was pretty interesting. That's always been one of these. I got to check in and see if Kendra had the guy show up to- <laughs> today to play the music. So this morning, I'm welcoming Kendra Hall to the podcast, and we are just going to just have a conversation about her life around storytelling and have some very candid and spontaneous conversation, and I'm so looking forward to it. Thank you for joining me this morning. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Sherry. I'm so happy to be here, and you're right. Yes, we did. We went down and met. We met the guy. (laughs) I love it. Would you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, like how you got started with your speaking yeah. engagements that you do and, and you know, how the storytelling led you to that point of in course, your life? Of course. Well, you know, we have anytime we, uh, we find ourselves in a place in our lives, if you go back and look at your life, there are a lot of those moments that stand out when you're like, oh, that's right. I should have seen it then or oh that's right that's one of those moments where it really became clear so one of the very first moments for me in my storytelling and speaking career I suppose you could say was I was in fifth grade that's when I told my very first story it was an assignment for um, my fifth grade English class. My teacher was Mrs. Sprain. And she was one of those teachers who everybody, when you found out you had Mrs. Sprain, everyone got really nervous because she was known as the meanest teacher at Lakeside Elementary. But it really just meant she was the oldest teacher. Like that's, you know, when you're in fifth grade, that's really all that matters. But at the end of the school year, we had a lesson in storytelling. And we were each to take a children's book learn it and then go read it for a third grade class or a fourth grade class, you know, some of the younger students. And I remember I I chose the book, The Giant's Big Toe. 
Yes, it's a, it's a classroom. <laughs> but I remember walking into the third grade classroom and the kids were just bouncing. I was at the end of the day. The kids were bouncing off the walls. And I remember standing there with the book and thinking, oh, I just don't think this is going to do it. So I closed the book. I set it down and I just told the story of the giant's big toe. And it took like the first maybe three sentences and the kids all quieted down and they were all just staring at me. And I I felt this immense sense of like, holy cow, maybe storytelling is a, is a really powerful force, right? I knew like right then when I was 11, that I was onto something. And so that was one of those first moments. And And it did really, for me in that moment, I didn't go back to fifth grade for the rest of the school year. I just told that story again and again and again all throughout the school. And I became known as like Kendra is the giant's big toe, which wasn't great for me if I were to say that. But I did develop a name for myself in storytelling. And then in middle school, I kept telling stories at my church uh, where I was protected by God and not locked in lockers. And then in high school, I was on the speech team in college. I remember I there was a talent show in college and I really wanted to be in the talent show because I thought it would be a good way to meet boys. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like if you're going to be, you're on a stage and, and then there, there'd be all these boys in there. So, um, but I didn't have a talent. I couldn't think of what my talent would be. I couldn't sing or play an instrument. So I decided to tell a story. Oh, I was sure. I was sure I wasn't going to make it into the talent show. And then I did get in the talent show. And then I was terrified because now I had to tell a story in front of all my peers, but it went really well. And then I went to graduate school and studied storytelling and business. And then I was in sales and marketing. And by the time I was 30 years old, I had this sense that I really, that this was a calling. I kept getting these clues throughout my life Mm -hmm. that this is my, this is my message. This is, this is the thing that I need to bring to the world. And sometimes it was a quiet signal, a moment. Sometimes it felt like it hit me over the head with like a frying pan. And so now this is what I I do. I give keynote presentations all across the country about the power of storytelling to all female audiences, to mostly male audiences, to big brands, to entrepreneur organizations. And now, of course, I have a book coming out this September that gives me a bigger stage versus one hour to explain right yeah absolutely book and yeah. and now i'm here with you and this is where it all <laughs> it all funnels down into this and so i guess i would ask you is when you were telling your stories were these stories of experiences that you had in life or stories that you heard from someone else i mean how what was the what, what, how did you gather those stories oh, to share? That is such an excellent question. So it started, you know, with fairy tales and folk tales. So in fifth right. grade, also on the speech team in high school, which yes, it was very popular, just like all the kids on the speech team are. Um, it, was, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was fairy tales and folk tales. But then I, I'd been going to storytelling festivals, which I had no idea that I was. I know, a thing, so by it's the so way. funny because I'll say it like, oh, and then I would go to storytelling festivals, and people are like, wait, 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 and I'm just gonna, I would just keep going and say, so I went to these festivals and blah blah blah, but people always stop and say, wait. What? So they are. So there are these festivals where people get up on stage 
in front of hundreds of people and share stories. Now, some of the stories are folk tales, but as I was going to these storytelling festivals and watching these storytellers, many, my favorite storytellers were the storytellers that were telling stories about their own life, funny stories, yeah. endearing stories. And here's the thing that, that fascinated me about it is, is they weren't these huge, tragic or momentous events. My favorite stories from my favorite tellers were very, very small, but they were so real. You could, like, they just, as they would tell the story, you're like, oh, I've been there before. I've, I've felt that way before. There were stories about their favorite teachers or stories about just those moments that we all have. And it was about that time then I was in college and then moving into graduate school where I started to have this desire to tell my own stories. But I have to be from my life, not just fairy tales or whatever. But I'll right. be honest, right. like I I hesitated for a long time because I didn't really think I had any stories, quote unquote, worth telling. Okay. Now here's where I'm gonna stop you for a second. This is what I have learned in doing this. So I am thirty-three episodes into this podcast. I started it last October. And my thing was, is that I knew that there were women out there with incredible stories that we don't always have the platform. We don't always have the impetus to share those stories. And I've always believed that women are the story keepers in, of the tribe, right? Women are the ones that keep the stories, that share the stories, that have the wisdom, that have the history, the family ties. And I have come across so many women that I have invited to do this and they say, oh, I don't really have a story to share or I don't think I have anything important to say. And I'm like, you're wrong. And, and then I had a woman that I just interviewed and she's like, I live a very simple life. And it's like, you can live a simple life. You can live an extravagant life. You can live somewhere in between. And all of us have a story to share. It doesn't matter how small it is. It's a story that has impacted your life. It's a part of who you are. And my goal part of with part of with all of this is not just to share their stories, but to have other people hear them and realize that yeah. they're not alone. Yeah. Realize that, you know, somebody might say one small kernel of wisdom that a woman might not think is important that someone else hears can change Absolutely. their life. And so when you said that, I found that so incredible that you say that in in being the storyteller that you are for so much a part of your life for you to still think that at that particular point in your life is very interesting well and it's to me. still like i still now now i know that that isn't that isn't the case and small stories are happening every day you know stories that people yes. want to be a part of and and share and i mean you you mentioned at the at the beginning of the podcast that i share on my instagram this instagram stories about the gentleman who pulls up outside of our apartment we live in new york city so he pulls up outside of our apartment now i think he does it on the weekdays too but i think he does it at the time where we're walking our kids to school but Every oh. so we miss him a lot uh, on weekdays, but on the weekends he pulls up at the exact same time every single day, and he goes into the coffee shop. He comes out and he he plays his music really really loud, and to the point where the kids would say, "Mama, Mama, he's here! Come to the window!" And so a couple of weeks ago we actually did start waving out the window to him, and then yes, just a couple of days ago my son and I went down and we met him and we had a little conversation with him, and he's just the most wonderful, happy, smiling, proud, gent like who's just this great guy. But here's the thing. Here's why I bring this up. Do you have any idea how many people 
comment on those stories. Like, like they, oh, I'm sure a lot are waiting for the stories of this random guy who pulls up and plays <laughs> music. Like this has nothing to do with me overcoming incredible odds or some huge accomplishment or anything. This is just the daily stories of the man who pulls up outside my bedroom window playing music. And so well, be- because everybody's curious, how does he end up there every day? I- I'm worried about it. No, I know, and you should be. <laughs> because you guys live in New York City, and you can hear it all the way up in your apartment, and it's loud oh, wow. in New York City. But so that's where, and I really did. I had that moment, Carrie. I have to say, when I I was at a storytelling festival, and there was like an open mic night. I remember I was right. in Oklahoma City, and it was at the, it was at nighttime, and I I really wanted to share. A story. So we, a bunch of us had gone out to dinner and we had had, like, I had had a glass of wine and I really wanted to share a story. But I, again, I was thinking I can't, but I had some, the wine gave me a little bit more courage, I suppose. I got up and I told this story, a story about heartbreak. Cause, you know, I was 20, I don't know, 24, 25, however old I was. And the responses I got from that simple story of, and it, it was like small heartbreak. Like it wasn't, it was not anything big or dramatic. It was high school heartbreak. The comments I got afterwards and the people who came up and were telling me about their high school loves and, and their heartbreaks. And I will say much like after performing for that third grade class, that was a moment where I thought, wait a minute. Maybe I don't have to have big, grand stories. Maybe the simple stories of my life help others reconnect with the simple stories of theirs. And it's that point of connection that I think will make the world a better place. Because if we all can realize how valuable even the small moments in our lives are, it gives us deeper meaning, greater purpose. And that's why it's so important as women, as anybody that we, that we share and that we keep and that we connect through those stories, because that's how we live fulfilling lives and help others have fulfilling lives as well. Well, and for me, it's how we realize that we are more similar than we are different. We may have different religious beliefs. We may have, you know, everybody, every human is different. Even if you marry someone, they have a totally different life and experience growing up than you do. So it's a blending of those two lives, those two storylines that come together. And I think that what's happened is... I feel that we have gotten to the point where we're talking at each other instead of leaning in and talking with each other and actually hearing about someone else's life and someone else's experience. And that's part of the reason why I was drawn to podcasting is because you, you sit and listen, you don't, you don't get to actually participate in the conversation that's going on between the the people that are speaking. So it's a really great way for people to learn more about themselves. And I, before we started recording, I told you about my episode that I did with the, the female helicopter pilot and the female jetpack pilot. And she's told about it on Instagram. She's written about it on Instagram. She's shows stories and pictures of her in Alaska flying her helicopter. I mean, people know what she's doing, but so many people were so drawn to her story because it was her story in her voice. So she was speaking about, and that's something that I feel is so incredibly powerful is actually being able to use your voice. And as women, we don't always and haven't traditionally 
had the platforms to be able to speak and speak exactly from our hearts, speak exactly from our souls. And we can be angry. We can be happy. We can be sad. We can be ecstatic. We can be all of those things without someone coming through and saying, I'm sorry, it's not attractive for you. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Or it's not attractive for you to be too forceful or too powerful or to this, or you're not enough that or whatever it is. And, you know, that's something I've run up against my entire life is, you know, someone telling me I'm too much of something and not enough of something else. And so I just, I feel that it's so, what you're talking about is those ways to be able to share small pieces of your life. Like you said, it doesn't have to be something big or life-changing, though those are great stories too. But those small daily little kernels of wisdom and things that happen during the day that sometimes we just kind of blow off as no big deal. And you tell somebody in the office and all of a sudden that somebody is leaning in. Exactly. It's such a, I mean, we, it's such a perfect way because those, those small little fragments of our life add up to our whole person. So, and so to be able to, but it, it, it is in those little fragments that we share those those short stories that people can really feel and understand the depth and the breadth and the nuances of of who we are and and when you're when you're sharing this in the form of a story it sticks with people it stays with them and so they'll they'll instead of just hearing it or whether they're listening or not they'll be able to it becomes a part of their tissue almost how they how they think yes. and feel about you. So, so I, I, I mean, I really, I really think now is the time and especially, of course we have face-to-face interactions, but I think this is one of the beautiful things about social media is it does become a platform for our stories. You know, like you can. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's a reason why they call it Instagram stories. You know, it's funny. (laughs) I think back because, you know, I was talking about, um, storytelling festivals. And so growing up as a traditional storyteller, that was always your goal was to get on the stage of a storytelling festival. But I was, you know, I was in my teens, I was in my early twenties and I wasn't, I wasn't your typical storyteller. If you were, I was too young by 40 years or whatever. So I remember feeling very frustrated that, that I wanted to be able to share my stories. And I thought, of course, that meant at these festivals, but then I thought, well, if I can't find those stages, or if I'm not really invited on those stages yet, I need to find my own stage. And at the time, I started blogging at MySpace. Yeah. My my right. blog. <laughs> I was like, well, this, I don't know where else to do it. And I found this the blog feature on MySpace. And so this is how long ago it was. And every night, like I just moved to a new city. I didn't really know anybody. I was at home by myself all the time. So I started writing my stories and sharing them on MySpace blog. And again, that's where I found, like, that's where people go now to hear stories. Well, and that's, I mean, I started on Blogspot. I mean, again, how old is that, right? And I and I looked at there one time and I was like, oh my God, I have like five different blogs that I started over the exactly. years. Exactly. There's a whole book in there, I bet. <laughs> I can look at my yeah. Well, and you know, it's just so interesting that, I mean, I've been telling stories for as long as I can remember and talking about life and talking about things I saw and, you know, strange things that happened. And, 
and it's just one of those things where it's like, and, and people would start to lean in and get a little closer and then it would start to, and then I'd start to light up even further. And it was like, you know, this is something that's incredible. And I have always been one of these people that's incredibly curious about mm -hmm. people. Where did you come from? How did you end up here? Well, why did you make that decision? Yeah. Well, where do your people mm -hmm. come from? You know, how, what did, how did, you know, how did this happen? Well, why did you make that choice? And I think people think I'm really nosy and they're like, you know, what are you doing? Writing a book. And, but what I am is I'm just incredibly curious about how people end up where they are the the choices that they made there's there's good things and bad things that happen to everybody in their lifetime i haven't met one person in all the years that i've been asking people questions that have said i i've never had any pain nothing bad's ever happened to me. i mean we we all have things and it's all relative to who you are and what's going on yeah. in your life but we all have challenges to meet in our lives and i'm just always so curious about how come you took the left fork in the road instead <laughs> right. of the right you know, and what was that? Did the universe give you that push? Was it was it like a big red sign in front of you that said, you know, go here? I mean, what what was what was the thing? So, I mean, it just it's always been this curiosity for me. And I was interviewing Catherine Beauty, and she said to me, she said, Sherry, she said that's a very unusual trait. She said there's a lot of people who don't who don't do that, who don't ask those questions, and who don't try to pull people forward into actually thinking about why the thing why they do the things they do because a lot of people are just on yeah. autopilot and they don't really think about you know they're not really that intentional and i get that because i do the same thing but it, it's just always so interesting to me it's like you know so just like for you guys how did you end up moving from arizona to new york oh, city that's a good question too and for a long time i felt uh like I had an inadequate answer and it may still be inadequate, but it just is the answer. You, you kind of mentioned it earlier, but it was a, it was a universe. It was a universe thing. So I grew up in rural Minnesota and then I went to college up by Fargo. So after four years near Fargo, I was thoroughly cold and decided to move out west. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So I moved to, um, I moved out west. I spent the majority of my adult life after college in Arizona where I met my husband. We had our two kids and we lived this beautiful uh, Arizona, Phoenix, Scottsdale suburban life. But I feel like I had always been, I was always a city girl at heart. Like we, I would sometimes have to drive in to work early in the morning with my dad and he worked in St. Paul, but we lived about 45 minutes outside if it wasn't blizzarding. We lived about 45 minutes outside. Of, if it were blizzarding, we lived about two hours outside of St. <laughs> I was going to say, oh my God, Minnesota. And it, no and it would be really, it would still be dark in the morning on those early drives in. And I remember coming around the bend on 35, 35E and seeing uh, the mini, the St. Paul skyline because it was still dark, light up against the sky. And I remember being even just a child and thinking, oh, I just want to be able to see a skyline someday. I want to live by a skyline. So I had this in me. Then I would travel to, New York for work and different projects. Right. And every single time I would come, it was very difficult for me to leave because I just, I think there are some people who come to New York and they hate it. Uh, it's just not for them. There's some people who come and enjoy it for the time that they're here, but are ready to go when it's time to go. And then there are some people who just can't get enough. And that was me. And you know, the time came where I had, I had left my sales job, had my kids, 
I could, I was a keynote speaker. I can work from anywhere. My husband, uh, a couple of years ago, left his job and we started working together. So now he could work from anywhere too. And we found ourselves in Phoenix and wondered, but why? We could go anywhere. I mean, we could. We have two kids, so we have to be responsible with schools. So we started looking at New York. I took him on a surprise birthday trip for his 40th birthday. And I booked the Airbnb and the plane tickets and tickets to Hamilton. You know, I was ready. Oh, yeah. And while we were here on that trip, this is just last year, uh, two Novembers ago, he said, oh, you know, there's a really great school in this neighborhood. So we went by the neighborhood and walked by the school and it was really cute. And then he's like, oh, there's there's an apartment for rent in the school zone. Maybe we should just go walk by it. So we walked by it and I saw the phone number. So I called the agent and then she showed it to us the next day. And then we went back home and then we were taking the kids. We'd already planned a trip to take them to see the Rockettes in just New York City in wintertime. The apartment was still right. available. So we looked at it again. And on the flight home, we turned in our application to rent the apartment. And on a whim, we moved to New York City the following that summer. Wow. That's, you know, it's so interesting. I I have a friend of mine who lived in New York City for 16 years. She moved from Iowa (laughs) to New York City. And, you know, she was a a yoga instructor there for for many years and travels the world teaching yoga. And I went to visit her. She was opening a studio in 2009 with a friend and I went to visit her there. (laughs) I would get people who come up to me and say, so where are you from? And I'd say Seattle and they go, yeah, you got that laid back (laughs) West Coast vibe about you. And, And I've always lived, you know, I've lived pretty rural, you know, kind of suburban-y, but more kind of suburban-y rural in most of my life. And my thing is, is that I am a pedal to the metal kind of person. You know, my slow and steady is most people's warp speed. So to get into an environment like New York City where it never stops, I knew that I couldn't stay there, that I would would burn myself out. And Sadie had made the comment to me, she said, you're so lucky to teach where you teach because you get people who come class after class and year after year. And she said, people in New York City don't do that. She said, they may come to yoga class for a while and then they get busy because there's too many other things to do or whatever it is. And then they fall away and then they may come back or they may not. So I found that really interesting. And Catherine Budig as well, both of them said, you know, and Catherine was the one who said, I'm of the opinion that New York City is a great place to visit, but no exactly. one should live that's there. Exactly. That's exactly what people say. You shouldn't live there. So. Well, and you know, and I just, I just think about what do you do with the kids and how because there's not a lot of like nature in New York City. <laughs> well, so it, that that was one of that was one of the things you know, like we wanted to obviously be able. The kids are the priority to make sure right. that they that they are taken care of and that they are living beautiful as beautiful a life as we can provide. But even in Arizona, there was, yes, there was nature, but it wasn't that we didn't interact with nature very often because it, it would be, it would just get really hot. And so you would, I was going to say that you you went you went from one extreme to the other. So there wasn't a lot of (laughs) yeah. It just it would be strange. You wouldn't you wouldn't think of it, but there wasn't a lot of moderate temperature, I guess. And then what you would do is you would just go to the swimming pool. I remember one day listening to the radio because I was driving somewhere and the DJ you know was doing the weather and said you don't have to go to a pool today. 
Today is the first day you don't have to go to a pool. So it's just a, it's a different, but we live, uh, we live pretty close to Central Park. And oh, that's so we, helpful, yeah. I mean, we spend on beautiful weekends and even, even on rainy ones, we, we actually spend more time in nature yeah, Outside. than we, yeah. than we did in Arizona. And then, you know, there's so many, so just this weekend, my daughter is in ballet. She's six and she's in ballet. And so we went and saw the recital for the students who are in the high school program at the School of American Ballet. So these are the ballerinas that then go on to become professional ballerinas. So she and I, you know, just on a whim on a Saturday afternoon, went to the Juilliard School to watch these these ballerinas. Meanwhile, my husband took my son down to BookCon, which was you know, just down the street. And my son got to meet his favorite author, the author who writes these books, Dog Man, my son's in second grade. And not only that, but the author called my son up on stage, had him help announce the name of the next book, drew him a picture and signed it. So it's it's these kinds of things that I guess my thought was, because we, our friends, our family, we're are, are all in Phoenix. And so there was a lot of why, why are you, why are you doing this? Right. But I think you can create a beautiful life. You know, you, you get to, you get to write any story that you're in. True. And so, and so for us, you know, as you're saying like, oh, there, you know, there isn't that sense of community. I go to, I do spin a lot. I go to Soul Cycle, And if I'm gone, you know, if I'm traveling a lot, they notice, like I go in and like, we it's an entirely different it's a different kind of everything's different yeah it's different but yeah you know you get to how you feel about the different well and you know i always look at it as you never have you're not a tree you're not rooted to stay there when you guys are ready to move on you'll move on you know you'll do you'll do whatever it is and it's so interesting to me that you started your daughter in ballet i started taking at four and stayed with ballet till i was 17. hearing this she um um, she just auditioned for the school of american ballet and got in yeah yeah yeah. well i i saw that and it you know it was one of those things where the studio that i took from i grew up in oregon was you know just this it was run by this beautiful beautiful italian woman who drove a jaguar that looked like cruella Deville's car (laughs) and she had this beautiful long black hair and i mean she was a voluptuous italian woman but she was a she was a dancer for many years but a lot of the girls that I went to school with and a couple of the men that were there for the adagio all went on to New York City to either one of them danced with Bob Fosse, a couple of them went on to, you know, ABT. So it was a it was a school that was highly thought of, even though we were, you know, in Beaverton, yeah, Oregon. For a lot sake. of the news on there were actually there were uh, the students that were dancing in that recital were from Oregon. I thought, oh, that's interesting. Like there yeah, there. Yeah, and you know, unfortunately for me, I hit a growth spurt. So by the time I was thirteen years old in point shoes, I was close to six foot tall. So that doesn't really do a whole lot in terms of being able to a partner mm-hmm. dance. So I stuck with it, and I mean, I was a dance major in in college at the University of Oregon. I mean, I loved dance. It was a, so yeah. such a part of my life yeah. that, and when you said that she had made such great progress you know, after coming here uh, to New York City and doing all of that, I was just, it just warmed my heart to think about 
her finding a love of dance because that was something for me that I loved so much yeah. in my life. And it's, it's, I believe that ballet has helped me in every aspect Absolutely. of my life. I also, I also played softball, competitive mm -hmm. softball at the same time. And my ballerina teacher, she'd see me leave and she'd be like, Sherry, you're going to break know. your arm. <laughs> or, you know, combination. But, right. And, uh, but uh, my, my dad mm -hmm. played softball and my mother was the one who started me in dance. But I believe that the ballet helped me in every single competitive sport that I ever played. It helped me with understanding my body and how it worked. It helped me understanding hard work, it, um, muscle memory and practice and, and, and dedication and all of those things that I think were so important to every aspect of my life. So when I saw that, I was like, that is so incredible that she gets to have that experience because even though it can be hard and there were a lot of girls who worried about being skinny enough and all of these things, for me, it was always just this incredible memory that I have taken with me for the rest of my life. So that's, that's incredible that she gets to go and study with that, that ballet school, because that's like the, that's the training yeah. ground right well, there. And it was interesting. It's interesting as you share this, because as I was watching the dancers and they were, they were making a big, you know, this was the graduating recital. So, right. and I was, I was thinking about, I was thinking about these dancers and some of them will go on and be professional ballet dancers. Some of them, even, right. some of them won't, some of them will leave, they'll get regular jobs. They'll, you know, they'll go exactly. and do something and else. I, I was sitting yeah. because I can't help but think about storytelling. I was sitting there thinking, you know, as they do for those that don't continue doing just straight ballet, I certainly hope that when they're sitting, and I think this is important for anybody, and it goes back to the, that all of our stories have value, that when they're sitting in an interview and they need to communicate the value that they could bring to a particular position or why they should, why that person should hire them, I sure hope that they tell the story of this recital or whatever it is. And to Understand. Like right. we could even tell the story of the hours and hours and hours and hours and days and weeks and months and years of practice, of training, of precision that they put in for six yes. minutes of glory on stage. And we can, you know, right. to tell that story and say, I understand what it means to work very, very hard without seeing a light at the end of the tunnel for a long time. So, so being able to take each and every one of ours, whether you are passionate, whether you were passionate about yoga or whether you played softball in high school to take these, these all these little pieces of our lives and be able to tell those stories. And of course, a lot of my work now is about storytelling in business. But to be in able business, to cross right. that, to be able to cross that bridge, because you're right. I think I am who I am in business because of all of the um, discipline and rigidity. And I mean, we had to on the speech team. We would stand up and speak in front of judges who were literally writing down everything that was wrong with our speech right in front of us. And we would walk yeah. out of the room and they would hand us a piece of paper that said everything that we did wrong. Now imagine what that means. You're 16 years old. Yeah, that's that's pretty harsh. <laughs> but think about what that has meant then in my adult life. So being able to take the stories of our lives and use them, um, particularly in business. Right. So I have a question for you because I ask this of, of a lot of people because I'm always curious about what the answer will be is if you could have a giant billboard with anything on it, what would it be 
and why? Oh, it would just say, be you. That's all it would say. Like big, okay. big, bold font with a period at the end. So be you, period. Because I, I really think that, and it sounds so simple, but I think that we have in the most difficult moments or stressful moments or important moments or when we're up against a big decision, I think that we do sometimes get confused about who we should be and what how we should behave and what 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 act we should take or you know action we should take instead of thinking about just being ourselves and and that's that it, is, it is it is hard it is hard to just be you and and bring and bring that so that's you know I, I I speak a lot I get nervous every time painfully sometimes dreadfully nervous and I realized that what, I was going to ask you yeah about I, I realized really what was behind it is that fear of me, uh, like I, for, I just, I focus on what they want from me instead of delivering exactly. who you are. And so one of, whenever I feel that anxiety taking over, I say, thank you and be, be you, be me, just be me. I just have to be me. Like I can't. And in those moments where I've really like let everything else go and I'm like, I'm going to go be me. That's, that's when I'm my, that's when I'm my best. So even if you're doing something that Maybe you don't think they approve of, or even for us moving to New York, man, it didn't make any sense to anybody. And, and and really, if we look at it logically, it makes it doesn't make any sense. But we had to be us. We had to be you. And not only that, I mean, how would you know if you didn't do it, right? You would never. I mean, you may have gotten here and gone, oh, we made a big mistake. We're going to stay here for a little while, and then we're leaving and going somewhere else, right? And and that's the thing to think about is that you don't you don't have to stay. That's why I always say you're not a tree, right? You don't have to stay wherever it is. You can have roots. You can have roots with family and friends and other places and and go wherever. Although that's never been my life. I've always lived pretty much close to my family, but it's so interesting to me. It's like when people say that, it's like, well, you don't have to stay at that job or with that person or in that home or whatever it is. You can choose to make another choice. You're, you're just choosing not to, because even though it may not be good for you emotionally, physically, financially, spiritually, whatever it is for you to stay in the space that you're in, it's a known quantity. So what happens is, is people build habits around knowing what to expect and change scares the shit out of them. So they stay in places that may not be good for them because they're too afraid of the unknown. They're too afraid to step off that leap off that cliff like you did with moving to New York yeah. City and to to trust that they will figure it out on the way. And they can always make another. There's always another turn in the road to make a decision about do I go left or right here or, you know, do I just stay when where I'm at? Yeah, there's no shame so, in that. You know, like if you're being if you're being you, then you just you have to. Now, I do think. Right. That that's that then it's also with that as your true north to be you. We should also always be working on ourselves, on our youth. So that right. so that when yes. you're being you, it is awesome. Right. So so when I do right. have those moments and I'm like, ooh, I wanted that to go better. Or ooh, you know, when whenever I and not just not just in speaking, but in anything, it's a really important then it's an important way to understand your own stories to say, oh, I want to grow more. So right. so I need to work to grow so that the next time I'm in this situation and I'm being me, uh, the outcome is better. And I have been doing a lot of diving into familial um, stories, stories that we get, we absorb as children that come from 
multiple generations of our family. And then they can inform our lives and inform our choices and inform our survival responses that we have. And that to get to a point where you have to wake up one day and go, I don't have to own those stories anymore. I don't have to live that life. I don't have to make those same choices or live my life the way my people before me did if it doesn't work for me. And that I don't have to own those things that were multi-generational. I can be the one that actually makes a change and stops doing that. And it it take it's hard work it's hard work and sometimes it's scary and sometimes it's just overwhelming but in digging into some of those things it explains a whole lot of things about family about myself mm-hmm. and in having conversations with other people about themselves and that there are things that we need to unlearn that we absorbed yeah. as children. No, I and it, and it's hard too when you're one of the story relationships that I've really that I've been struggling with and I mean I'm sure I struggled with it is how different I am from my mother. Um, my mother mm. wanted desperately my mother's big regret is that she had to go back to work after I was born. She wanted desperately to be home with me. And then once my brother was born, my mother stayed home. And how wonderful that she was able to do the thing that she wanted to do, where it's challenging. Right. So she was always the one on the field trips. And she was always the one on that, you know, doing all the doing all the after school and being, you know, she was always there. That is not what I wanted my story to be. Not because that was bad. It was wonderful. I loved that, but I'm a different, I'm a different person. It was very difficult to be in that position where my children were born and I had left my, so I told my sales job that I was leaving to start my own thing. I didn't know what my own thing was at the time, but I was leaving. And I found out later that week that I was pregnant. So suddenly what I'd really just done is become a stay-at-home mom accidentally. Like I didn't even... (laughs) I quit my job uh, thinking I was going to start this company and and instead I just started started growing a baby and and it was really stressful um, because it wasn't and then and then we had our children are 17 months apart so we just kind of went right one right after the other and so for those so there were several years where I was at home I was a stay-at-home mom and that right. what a beautiful thing except that is you were you were like i need to do something was, else <laughs> so i remember one day being I, I had been able to i went to a conference where it was like a you know build your own business kind of conference and and how do you create all these different things and i remember calling my husband calling michael from the conference and we had set aside we've been saving and saving and saving this money so we could do a remodel of this kitchen because we bought a foreclosure whatever it was and and i called him and i said michael lee can we take that money and instead of remodeling the house, can I use it on a babysitter? Like, can I just get a couple hours a week where I can work on my storytelling business, whatever it was? Again, I didn't really know what it was, so that so that I can right. so that I can start building my business. And he said yes, and of course, and that's really how it started. But it, but it was really difficult for me because you know you always you you compare yourself to your story, to the three thread. And so here I am working for the exact, like trying to get money so that I can go back to work where my mom's whole story and the whole story that I, the whole narrative that was a part of my life is how wonderful 
was to have right. your mom at home. And that was really hard. And it continues to be like, actually today, here today, my son is on a field trip to walk the Brooklyn Bridge. But I'm not on that field trip because I'm here doing podcasts. And here's the thing, though. My, I feel like, based on my old story, that I should feel really sad about that, that I'm the mom that's missing the field trip because I have to work. But when I thought about how I actually feel about it, what the story actually is, I'm like, you know, I can go walk the Brooklyn Bridge any day with my son. I don't like field trips. I don't like all the kids and all the people all around. Like, I'm so excited to do these podcasts. And, and it's so, when that isn't the story that you feel like it's okay to tell, like it, when you don't feel like that's okay for that to be your story, it's challenging. But but again, it goes back to be you. It's your story. And I think that from the political machine, the marketing and advertising, the religious doctrine is all around being a parent and as a mother being home or being available to your children and that it pits women right. against each yep. other. It pits mothers against mothers. It pits working mothers against non-mothers. It pits non-mothers against mothers. I mean, they, it, there's always something, yeah. right? There, you're, you're, you're failing yeah. somehow. You're not spending enough time with your kids. You're spending too much time with your kids. You should have kids. You know, you have too many kids. That whole thing. It's like, can't we all just be who we're supposed to be? And at the same time, I feel that part of it is, is that it's what the, and I'm going to just come out. The patriarchy wants is to keep women separate mm. because when women come together, when we actually come together and let go of, you're not a good enough mother and you don't do this and you don't wear the right lip gloss and you don't wear the right shoes and whatever it is, when we let go of that and we just come together as women, that we are incredibly powerful mm. And that scares the ever-loving daylights out of men, right? And out of the establishment and out of the norm of how things have been for so long. And it's, it's the thing I'm trying to say to everyone is like, we need to stop comparing ourselves to each other. We need to stop placing judgments on who lives their life, how they live their life. And we need to stop saying, well, my pain is worse than your pain. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you don't understand. And there's this. And it's like, you know what? We all have pain for some reason. And there are there are some atrocities that have happened along race lines and everything else. And it's awful. And it's horrible. But I feel like if we keep putting up those things of saying, you know, my pain is more than yours, that we will never come together. And that I believe that it is imperative as the human race that women come together to show the way because they hold yeah. the stories, they hold the wisdom, they hold the capacity to be able to work together. I mean, look at, look at what you do as a mother. You're a mother. You're a wife, you run a business, you tell stories, you share parts of your life on social media, and you do all of that in a day, every single yeah. day. Sorry, well, I'm tired too. I'm tired that in. Well, <laughs> most, most women are tired, right? I mean, if you think about, we never do just no. one thing. We don't just go to work and come home. I'll never forget being a kid. <laughs> My mom's in doing the dishes. 
my dad sitting in the living room reading the newspaper, you know, and this is the sixties. Okay. And my dad was a creature of a home environment with a father that was German, right? So he ruled everything, a mother that was Danish. And so she, and my brothers are in the bathtub and you can hear them in there. And my dad folds the newspaper down and yells to my mom, Bev, the kids are calling for you. Right. So those were the days when the guy went to work he earned the living, came home and, you know, expected dinner and the wife did all of the things. And so, I mean, granted roles have changed, of course, over the years, but I still think that there's that societal thing of, you know, women, women do the, do the thing with the, and so we've gotten really good at multitasking, but it's not necessarily that great for our brains. And it's definitely not very good for our Well, and it's a very subtle, it's a very subtle thing. So for example, my I travel a lot, so I'm 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 gone a lot. Now I'm home a lot. But I'm gone a lot. Right. And uh, my daughter was at the nurse's office because she had a fever or something. And she, you know, and she's six. And my husband is the phone number because he doesn't travel. He works, but he he's he's the right. one who's here. And um, my the nurse and my husband's number is the first number. Michael, call Michael. Here's the first number. And the nurse um, was like, "Okay, I'm going to call your mom." And my daughter said, no, my mom is traveling. You have to call my dad. She's six. You know, she's a first grader. And the nurse is like, okay, well, why don't I try your mom first? And my daughter's like, my mom is not going to answer the phone. She's on an airplane. You have to call my dad. And so the nurse called me first and she, um, and then she had to, she had to call my, she had to call Michael because I wasn't there. Like that was, so it's, it's, it happens in, it happens in subtle ways. It's very subtle, very subtle ways. And you know, what I find is interesting is, is your daughter's response to that was like, and I'm sure in her brain, she was thinking, listen, lady, I'm telling you what the truth is. Just yeah, call my exactly. dad. You know, my mom said, my mother grew up, you know, in the, in the fifties and sixties and she was the last of four daughters. And she told me the story, you know, as she was leaving, I can't remember if she was a senior in high school or college, but it was, it was when she was older and she had this like rare evening with my grandfather. And in a conversation, he, in that evening, that conversation, he said to her, you know, I wish we lived in a time where it was okay for dads to spend more time with their daughters. Yeah, that's hard. I, you know, I, I didn't get to spend a lot of time with my dad. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, and the interesting thing for me that I noticed, and even though, you know, my parents lived in, in pretty siloed, you know, strict roles of the time. And my mom did stay home with us kids for quite a while, but my dad's mom, he, had to help her when I was a year old. So it was 1962. My grandfather had passed away and my grandmother didn't know how to drive a car. She didn't know how to pay a bill. She didn't have a checking or savings account or a job or any of that. Her job was to take care of the house, take care of the kids. The kids were all grown. So she had to take care of my grandfather. And so when I got ready to graduate from high school, my dad was really, really adamant and I'm the oldest and the only daughter, was adamant that I get a college mm-hmm. education because he didn't want me to have to rely on someone else to mm-hmm. take care of. And so that is so out of character. And my dad, my dad retired at 52. He worked for the phone company for 30 years. He retired. My youngest brother was still in high school and they, you know, 
they decided to, on the last day, take this retirement package from the phone company. And I watched my dad go from someone who never touched a dirty yeah. dish or a, a, you know, dirty clothes or do any of that to my mother still working full time and my dad at home. And my two brothers both had daughters within a few months of each other. And when the moms were getting ready to go back to work, my dad could not handle the fact that those kids were going to have to go to daycare. So he took care of those two little girls until they went to kindergarten at five. It's like, who, who, who's telling me? Who, who is this man? That's like, not that's my a, dad. I feel like that's, that's also our responsibility as women, as mothers is to, is to let them step up because they, yeah. oh, you know. Yeah. Well, my situation was not good in that I ended up being separated when I was six months pregnant and came home to stay with my folks. And so my ex-husband was not interested in being a father. And so my dad was my daughter's father, really. And so he, they spent a lot. I mean, he, she's got that man wrapped around her little finger. All she has to do is say, Papa, and he'll do whatever she wants. So, you know, so it, it's very interesting to see that change. But I think that that only happened because of the time in history that it is. And like you were saying that your your mom's father said, you know, I wish that we were in a time where a father could spend more time with their daughter. And that's just as heartbreaking because it sounds like that's something that he truly wanted to do, but he felt he couldn't do it and he wasn't being yep. himself. Yep. So I think that's the thing. Ultimately, ultimately, it starts with all of us on that billboard being willing to be ourselves, which is scary. And then the second part of that, that comes back to storytelling, is to share your the story of who that you is. Also, yes. ask other people the story of who they who they we really are. are yeah. All just just as you said, like when we share those stories, we realize that we have a lot more in common than yeah. we're a lot more alike than we are different. And, and all it takes is one story to bridge what would otherwise take years of work to achieve the same amount of empathy. Well, and I feel like too, that there's a lot of fear that certain, like in the pol political arena that gets pumped into the media because that's what helps keep people yeah. separate, right? I mean, that's what keeps people partisan. That's what keeps them from being able to come together. And when you actually listen to what people have to say, they're worried about healthcare. They're worried about their kids getting a good mm -hmm. education, having enough to eat, making sure they have a roof over their head. All of these things, those are basic human requirements of having a life that is sustainable. And so when I look at things like that and I think, you know what, I don't care what your religion is. I don't care what color your skin is, what your genetics are, whatever that is. We all want to be able to live a sustainable life. We all want to feel like we matter on mm -hmm. some level, right? And like you said, asking people about their stories, asking them, I, I always like to say, who are your people and where did they come from? Right? I mean, who are those people? How did you end up here? I met some people the other day and they're both from, one man has lived his entire life in wow. New Orleans. 
And the woman says, I'm from down the bayou. That's how, what okay. we say in, in Louisiana. Cause I asked her where she was from in Louisiana. She mm -hmm. said down the bayou and very different way of life than me. And I was so incredibly interested It's like, you know, how did you end up here? And he travels several months out of the year as a physical therapist. He goes and fills in for other physical therapists that are on vacation. And so they come to different locations to live for months at a time and to be able to experience other parts of the country. And I thought that is the coolest yeah. thing because, you know, she and she could have stayed in her little tiny bayou town and lived there for the rest of her life and never known anything different. But yet they're out in the world learning about different people. And they were incredibly interesting human beings. And I never would have realized that if I hadn't asked them where they right. came from. Yep. Yep. Every time I do that, it's like, I get to learn something really cool about something that I didn't know five minutes ago. And I didn't know this person right. until they walked right. through the door. Right. It, that always takes me back to the guy with the car playing the music. Right. You have no idea who he is, what his story is, but he shows up and yeah. he plays that music yeah. and, and you actually got mm -hmm. to meet him. So I just think that is such, it, it just, it widens the circles of who we are and where we live in our lives. And it just shows that even in a huge city like New York City, that you can, you can include somebody that may be disparate that you would never have met that only piqued your interest because you guys were like, God, he's playing his music really loud. <laughs> Every day. It was always the same song. For a long time, it was uh, Phil Collins. Oh, it, oh, it was. Because oh. he just kept playing it. Well, and I noticed that sometimes he kind of has to park out in the street because there's know. not parking. And so he just, really. no, he can't really do that anymore because there's construction <laughs> all around. But you know, that's just the, there's just stories happening all around. There are. And that, that's why when I started following you and I can't even remember how I found you no, on Instagram, I don't know that either. but I just, you showed up <laughs> one day and I was like, this is so interesting. And because I'm really interested in at some point in time, actually telling stories yeah. to other people, you know, in, in a larger arena. So tell me what was your first gig and how did that um, happen? You know, my first gig was, oh, I don't even remember the year now. It was maybe like 2014, 14, 2014. It was for a jewelry, like a handmade jewelry show and they had a big conference in Vegas and then um, I went and spoke for like the educational conference and it came about because I had written a very very small blurb in a magazine and someone came across it okay and read it and called me and said hey do you do you do keynote speaking we'd like to hire you to speak and I said yes and they said how much do you charge and I made up a you went, they were like, um... we only have this much and I said I will do it for that much um and then, you know, but I had been speaking my whole life. So right. then it was just a matter of like really figuring out how to teach this thing that I just knew in my bones. So that was the hardest. That was the hardest part of the work is like, how do I teach storytelling something that's so automatic for me? I did that one. Oh, yes. so I had to like break it down because I, I, I just didn't know. So I, ha I had to break it down. Like, how do I not only say why storytelling is important, but make it so that it's something then when I'm done talking about it, that they're like, I can do that too. And I know exactly what to do next. Right. So I had to work on right. that. But yeah, I had that speech. And then after that speech, I remember standing, looking out the hotel window of my room. And I was like, I can do this. That's really when it started. And then it really was just a, then it was a hard push of, it, it was a lot of hustle. I, yeah. Because you have a message. Now, so you have to find a message and then you have to find people who 
care about that message or who need that message, or you have to find people who don't know that they need that message and then convince them that they need that message and then convince them that you're the one to give them that message. Well, and it's all, and that's stories. That That's the storytelling exactly. right there, right? Your message is the story exactly. that you have to share. So it so. was a very, yeah, it was. And so then it was just a lot of hard, tedious work of finding email addresses of events that might want to hear my story about stories. Yeah. I love that. Let me ask you one more question. Where do you go to push your limits? You know, so there's, it's twofold. I would say that I am not a great limit pusher. I like doing things that, which sounds weird. um, But like, I knew I could move to New York, for example, I knew that I could write a book, like those weren't actual risks. I knew I could do all of those things. So one place where I go to push my limits is actually exercise is actually soul cycle. And it's on a very micro level, right? But when she says, "That's your you're, you're pushing exactly. your physical limits." When she says, "Sit down," um, I try to stay standing up and see if I can and survive. So, <laughs> so that's just one. That's one way. But uh, another way that I try to push my limits, or I think uh, my biggest limit is my vision for myself. I think, and so that's the limit that I'm always yeah. trying to push is to have a bigger vision for myself, for what we're doing, for just for life. Um, And so one of the things I love doing is touring homes or apartments or here in the, in the city, like going one day, my daughter and I happened to get walked by this brownstone that was for sale. And I think it was like $9 million. $9 million though. I'm like, I'm not crazy. But walking through it, there was, there was some limit adjustment that happened then. What is your vision for the future? What What's next? Well, what's next is to survive the next couple, of, to thrive through the next couple of months with the uh, book coming out. But ultimately, what I'd really like, what I'm working towards is not so much like a specific measure. It's, it's one of those goals that's more difficult to measure, I suppose. Um, I've always been okay. very clear about like, oh, I'm going to be able to do this or do that. And it's very specific. But I think I'm moving to a place which is difficult having it be a more, not vague, but just a, diff, a nebulous goal. Less exactly. less defined with a, a little bit more space. But it's to definitely be to own storytelling, I suppose. So when you think about vulnerability, who do you think about? Brene Brown. Right. Renee so, Brown. So, that, so that when people, because storytelling, people are talking about it. People are thinking about it. It's on the tip of everyone's tongue. And, and I, I, I love it. And I want to, I, I see the whole world that way. That's what I do. And so I do, that is a measurement of that's, that's, it's what I'm working towards. It, and I had it happen the other day at the end of game of Thrones, which I've never seen a single episode, but it was the last episode. And apparently there was this incredible quote about storytelling and how powerful it is. And that the stories are the most powerful thing that there are. And this is like one of the last quotes in the last episode of this huge pop culture phenomenon. And the number of, the number of messages on Instagram and retweets with my name on it and Facebook and emails and things coming in about this quote. People saying, oh my God, I hope you're watching Game of Thrones right now. Game of Thrones right now. And I wasn't, so I didn't know what any of them were talking about. Yeah, I, I don't watch it either. So. Violent from what I've understood for me, like I just don't really go there, but I had a hard time watching How to Train Your Dragon. So I just don't think that that supports you. So, but I was like, oh, this is because yes, when they hear the when they hear a quote somewhere about storytelling, I want them to be like Kendra told me that my stories were important, and that's yeah. that's ultimately 
So whatever it does to get there, we're just going to keep doing that. I love that. What a great Mm. answer. I want to thank you so much for your time today and for accepting my invitation. I sometimes am always surprised when I reach out and people say (laughs) yes, especially for someone who doesn't really know me, but this is, this to me is the, the jam in my peanut butter and jam sandwich is, you know, this being able to have these conversations and share the stories. And I, it doesn't surprise me that you made the comment about, you know, at first I thought I didn't have a story that was important to share. It just reinforces for me the theme that I have seen throughout all of these conversations I've had with all of the women that have been on is that everybody feels that they don't really have a story to share. But those, once you get people started, it's like, look at all those stories that you have. They're, they're awesome and amazing. So I appreciate you being here to share your time with me today and for sharing on Instagram. Cause now I got to know, you know, what, what the next song cue is up for the guy. And now he plays Sweet Child of Mine every time he drives away. Cause he knows that's my favorite that he plays. Well, thanks again. I really enjoyed having you on today.